Last week, Pastor Martin spoke, and you know, I think it's, it's neat how the Lord orchestrates things. I believe that God still moves today, amen? God still moves today. The, the title of Pastor Martin's message last week was The Cost of Redemption. We kind of sang about that today. In, in Pastor Martin's message, he had three S's. He had, his main points were the sockets, the soul, and our salvation. He talked about some different things, but he talked about those three main points. And um, Pastor Martin and I, a few weeks ago, we were together in my office and we were talking about our messages. It was prior to him speaking last Sunday. And we were talking about, you know, what are you going to be speaking on, what I was going to be speaking on. But we didn't really sit down and say, okay, you do this and, and you do this. But we talked about it. Again, I think the Lord is moving today and, and he moves. And last week as Pastor Martin preached his message, I didn't know everything he was going to talk about. But I knew what I was going to talk about. I had determined I was going to study and I was going to have a message ready in case Pastor asked me to speak. I would be ready. And so... I knew what I was going to talk about today before Pastor Martin ever spoke last week. Back to Pastor Martin's three S's, the sockets that he said. I, I believe it's good that we review what we talked about last week because you'll see how it kind of orchestrated through the message that I'm going to preach today. The sockets, he said that they signify the price for every man is the same. Everyone in that day, they're talking about the children of Israel and the temple, and during that time, were charged the same price to enter in. The presence of God, all people stand on level ground. That's the sockets, the soil. It symbolized the corruption of the world. Do you believe the world is still corrupt today? The world is still corrupt today. God called Israel to come out and be different from the world. I believe the Lord is calling us today, here and now, to be different than the world. Our salvation, the third point, the one price required of every man reminds us of the sacrificial price of the blood of Jesus. It does, and we took communion last week. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles today to Acts. If you're following along on a phone or you've got your device, Turn to the Acts, and we're going to be in chapter number 8. I want us to get to know someone today. He's a nameless man in the Bible. There are several characters in the Bible that are nameless, and the one we're going to read about today is he's an Ethiopian eunuch. And you can't engage this story about this man and not come away with a deeper appreciation of God's grace. You can't engage in this man's story and not be challenged in your understanding of the Christian faith and all unfolds in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26 and I'm going to read you basically the entire story. I want to give you a little bit of historical background so that we kind of understand what we're talking about today. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to revisit several scriptures that we're going to read today. So let's begin in, in 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. 
So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation for, he, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road and came to some water, the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe all with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Father, thank you for your word. Open our minds and our hearts. Father, communicate through me today. Lord, let these people understand your word today, what it means to us today, and what was going on then and there. In your mighty name we pray, amen. No matter who you are, the Bible will always surprise you in a way. No matter your culture, your social class, no matter your prejudice or your category you bring to the table, it will smash all of them and this passage is one of those category-busting, prejudice-shattering passages. It teaches us about the inclusivity of Christianity and about the exclusivity of Christianity. It shows us that Christianity can be both at the same time. But most people will say that that is not possible. You're either inclusive or exclusive, but it's not possible to be both at the same time. But church, Christianity is both at the same time. It is radically inclusive and it is radically exclusive. The story of this unnamed man shows us how it can be both. Let's start by looking at number one, the inclusivity of Christianity. To see this and understand this, you've got to be more acquainted with this Ethiopian, this eunuch, this unnamed man, his very title on the one hand is that he is a black African. On the other hand, that he is a eunuch. He's been castrated sexually, altered, which was a common practice during that time. If you were a male and who was not of, of royal descent, you were altered. It was a common practice in those days. You, uh, you were, he was part of this royal court he had been given the opportunity to serve in this royal court. He had uh, been given the opportunity to serve underneath a queen. In this particular man's case, he had been given a high administrative position in leadership, 
in a government of a queen. For her protection, he had to pay the price to get the job done, to, to get the prestige, to see the power, to get the position, was to become a eunuch. Now, before we go any further, there's two things that you need to notice. Those two things, that these are two different people from two different places. Philip is a middle-class Jewish man. This eunuch is a, is a very racially different. He was black, and more important than that, he was from the outermost points of the known world that day, the civilized world. To the Jew and anyone else who saw this man on the street, he would have been known as a barbarian. From a common Jewish perspective, he was racially different. He was sexually altered. He was a barbarian. He was different from Philip as different can be. You might remember this, but a, a Jewish, all Jewish men prayed a memorized prayer during the day. This, literal, this is a literal line out of a Jewish prayer. Oh Lord, thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Seriously? Every Jewish religious male of that area would have reached out and said, prayed that prayer during the day, and they know that people around them, if they're different from them, they would believe that they would defile them. This eunuch is about as defiling to Philip as defiling can be. But look at the scripture there. Look at how, and notice how direct God is in this intervention of Philip in this eunuch for this conversation to take place. It is supernatural intervention for God to force Philip and this eunuch to be together. Let's look in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, specifically that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. An angel supernaturally by divine appointment puts Philip on the road. And secondly, in verse 29, he sees the Ethiopian, the spirit told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. He ran up to the chariot. Do you know why he had to run up to the chariot? It's because it's moving. It's moving away from him. He had to go and run up next to it. And Philip had to run up and catch it. All the early part of this conversation is happening while Philip is running alongside the chariot. It would have happened something like this. He's running along. Hey, do you see and, and do you understand what you're reading? And finally, the, the, the eunuch recognizes him. And he says, don't miss one of these main points in this scripture. The Spirit of God strongly desires for racial barriers between people to be surmounted. Christ's Legacy Church is a Pentecostal church. A Pentecostal church celebrates the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon his people. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the outpouring of this supernatural God, this supernatural Spirit upon these people. To get the most out of what we see, we need to recognize some things. That people need to get out of their comfort zones, to embrace people of different races and different cultures from different areas and from different geographic regions. 
in this racially charged society that we live in today, we must recognize what the Spirit of God is saying to us today. The Spirit of God has to transform us to compel us by His power. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being grieved. If we don't love what Christ loves, then the Spirit is grieved. If we don't pursue what Christ pursues, then the Spirit of God is grieved. It means it grieves God if people, especially Christians, show one race disdain or they condemn or they simply avoid another race. It quenches the Spirit. It grieves the Spirit. Listen to the voice of the Spirit of God in this passage. Basically, here is what the, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to Philip right here. Philip, run up to that racially different, that sexually altered man that you would normally have nothing to do with at all and stay close. That's the language of the Spirit. That's the trajectory of the Spirit of God then. You see it all throughout the book of Acts. It's what the Spirit of God still desires for us today. That is the practical power of the Pentecost, of the Spirit of God that desires racial barriers to be surmounted. Here's another takeaway of Philip's interaction with this Ethiopian eunuch. Christianity does not belong to one culture more than the other. You see this theme again throughout the book of Acts, over and over again in Acts. We see a Jewish Pharisee coming to Christ all throughout the book of Acts. We see a, a, a man blinded by his religion. He has shackles, genuinely becomes born again, and despite his religion, you see a Roman transformed by the power of the gospel. You see a Samaritan coming to Christ. And remember, Samaritans were hated by both Jews and Gentiles. They were geographically and racially alienated. But a Samaritan gets converted. In the book of Acts, now we're reading about an African Ethiopian being converted. Someone who is, who is not just racially different, but he is geographically from the far regions of the known world that day. Over and over again in the book of Acts, we see not one particular culture to which Christianity belongs more than another. In the very beginning, Jesus said these words, the gospel is, <laughs> is for every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people. I need you to think about this today. Do you realize how that puts Christianity in a different perspective and the Bible and, and with odds with everybody who typically talks about Christianity and culture and religion. If you go to an institution of higher learning, those professors are going to tell you that religion is an extension of culture, that religion is just a function of culture, that religion is a man-made invention of culture. They're going to say that every culture needs a solidarity. They're going to say that every culture needs something to cohere its people together, to stick together. Religion is a man-made glue that sticks culture together. One of the ways religion does this, it, it creates these stories. It creates these stories, these metaphysical, spiritual stories that end up become, becoming a religion. Every culture develops a religion in order to keep its people together. Every culture has its own religion. Just look at the globe. 
Europeans and North Americans develop Christianity. South Asia cultures develop Hinduism. Eastern cultures develop Buddhism, Confucianism, Shintoism, Middle Eastern cultures, and some South Asian cultures, North African cultures develop Islam. Every culture develops its own religion. That's all religion is, is the product of a culture man-made. However, Laman Sene, an African professor at Yale University who is a Christian, he wrote a little book some years ago. It's an incredible book called Whose Religion is Christianity? In that book, he points out there are major world religions except for Christianity. All those other world religions and population centers of those world religions are still roughly near where those religions began. The cultures out of which they developed are still where the vast majority of the adherents are for that particular religion. Of course, this plays into the theory that all religions in Professor College, this is what they are, are saying. This affirms everything that they're saying. For example, here's some stats. For example, 96% of Muslims live in the Middle East, Africa, or South Asia. That only leaves 4% of Muslims scattered somewhere else throughout the world. 96% of Muslims are near or around where it all started. 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia, and 98% of Hindus live in India or South Asia. Of course, this supports the idea of those professors that religion is a man-made cultural creation. But when you get to Christianity, church, it is absolutely different. It is absolutely different. Let's look at some stats on Christianity. 26% of Christians are in Europe. 25% are in Central America, South America, and the Caribbean. 22% of Christians are in Africa, only 15 in Asia, and I believe that number is growing dramatically and will probably outgrow all of the others very, very soon. Only 12% are where you are right now, North America. There is no other religion like Christianity. In fact, a man named Richard Balkin, a scholar at St. Andrews, Scotland, he says this about Christianity. Certainly, Christianity exhibits more cultural diversity than any other religion. That must say something about it. It absolutely says something about it. Why is Christianity far more inclusive of cultural diversity than any other world religion? Key in on this, Korea went from 0% Christian to about 50% Christian in only 100 years. China is significantly larger than Korea and is doing the same thing in the last 100 years. Africa, 9% Christian to 50% Christian in 100 years. No other religion no other religion has ever moved into a brand new continent and was introduced to a brand new culture and spread virally like Christianity has. It has never happened before in any other belief system. Laman Sene, our African professor at Yale, who is a Christ follower, tells us why Christianity is so diverse. He gives an example about a, from an African point of view. He says that Africans have always believed in a world that is supernatural. This place, 
They believe that the world is filled with spirits, good spirits and evil spirits. That's the really heart of what it means to be an African. This understanding of the supernatural and Africans live with challenge on how to face those evil spirits every day. They are powerful and they can seduce you. Those evil spirits can come and dominate you. What is it that Africans are supposed to do when they face those evil spirits? Sine says, if a young African goes to another continent to get an education, say they go to Oxford or Cambridge, or maybe they come to the United States and they go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton, who do all those institutions tell that African student that they are? They say this, and, and I believe this is their mantra, Sine says, oh, we're very inclusive and very multicultural here. We're happy that you eat your African food and that you wear your African dress, but there are no such thing as evil spirits. There are no angels and there are no demons and there's none of that stuff. Everything has a scientific explanation, these professors will tell them, but we really love your culture. We're just gonna pull the heart right out of who you are in the process. And we're gonna actually tell you that you have not come to become a late modern secular individualistic Westerner like us, unless you become one of us. You're not really educated and enlightened unless you believe as though we believe. That is not inclusive. That is manipulation. That is exploitation and crushing, and it rips the heart out of who an African really is. Notice the flip side. When Christianity came to Africa, Sine says that the continent goes from 50% Christian in less than 100 years because Christianity challenged the African in who they are. Christianity also accepted the Africanness of the African people. It says on one hand that you're right. The world is a supernatural place. There is evil spirits and good spirits. There are out there, but there is one who has overcome the evil spirit of the day. He is Jesus and Jesus through him. You can overcome too. You see, that is what affirms the African and the Africanness, but it also renews that person at the same time. Sine says, while Christianity spread so rapidly in Africa, he said, quote, people referring to Africans, they sensed in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred, nor their clamor for the invincible savior. So they beat their sacred drums for him until all of the stars skipped and danced in the skies. And after that, the stars did not seem little anymore. Christianity helped Africans to become renewed Africans and remade Europeans. In other words, Christianity is far more inclusive than any secular culture which is always preaching about their end of inclusivity. Christianity does not belong to one particular culture more than another. It is not an extension of culture. It is not a function of culture. It's not a product of culture. It comes down from above. It stands preeminent and over all culture. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to recreate Christianity in the soil of every culture. Christianity is the most inclusive of all religions, even more inclusive than the secularists who put themselves in their inclusivity. Now, here's the second main point of the idea today. Exclusivity of Christianity. Watch this in verse 34. 
This eunuch is reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he asked Philip this question. What does this mean? Please tell me what this means. Notice that Philip didn't respond to his, his, his question. He didn't say, and, he, and he's not being very political here and correct in a postmodern way. He didn't say, sir, you have to recreate the meaning for yourselves. I believe we hear that on a daily basis here. You have to decide what is right and wrong for you. He didn't say, you have to decide what the text means for you today. I can't tell you what the text means. He, didn't, he doesn't do that because scripture has one meaning, church. It has one absolute meaning. It isn't meant to be interpreted differently by every person that reads it. God has an intention for scripture and a message to get across to everyone on every day. The way, the only way Isaiah makes sense is that Jesus is the message of scripture. Jesus makes the Bible make sense. It is the only way you can understand scripture through the lens of Christ. Philip uses this conversation. He shares the good news of Jesus, the gospel of God's grace with this man, and that man understands it. The Ethiopian believes it, and at the beginning, he stops and he says, there's water, I need to be baptized. You know about baptismal. Baptismal means that you are changed from the inside out. You stop pursuing whatever it is you're pursuing and you start pursuing Christ. He believed it. You must find God in a meaningful way through the scriptures that you read. Philip is lying out and he's portraying a very narrow path to God straight from scripture. How is it possible for Christianity to be the most culturally inclusive religion out there, but also be very exclusive in its claims? Think of it this way. In every other religion, there are prophets, there's sages, there's wise teachers, and they come along and they say, this is how you get to God. Here, is a way God and your culture can be united through a common idea and that these religions will lead you to God in that every religion is just a different pathway to God, to the top of the same mountain. You have to be faithful to who you are, they will say. What you believe and you'll get there. We're all headed to the same place anyhow. For the Buddhist way to God, there are the eightfold paths. For the Hindu, there are five pillars to the top of the same mountain. That works every other religion but Christianity. Jesus came on the scene and he said, I am God. I came to be the God that you're searching for. You cannot get to the top of the mountain by yourselves. I didn't come to show you the way. Christ said, I am the way. If you have one religion that is like, unlike any other religions, it's either a better religion than all the rest or it's worse than all the rest because the founder would be a liar. It has to be better or it has to be worse. Based on the claims that Jesus made, Christianity can't be just one more path to the top of the mountain. It can't just be one more religion, which means Christianity is the most worldwide, culturally diverse, inclusive religion, yet it is the most exclusive in its claims. How does all this work? How can you be both? 
Well, this Ethiopian, he shows us how Christianity can be inclusive and exclusive at the same time. Let me ask you a question. Why is this black African reading the Isaiah scroll and studying it so intently sitting in his chariot? He is intently, he has gone from his Ethiopian kingdom to Jerusalem. That is about a thousand mile journey. It is a long, arduous journey back in that day. Why in the world would he be sitting there reading over these scrolls? Think about who this man is. He has reached the top of the, his world. Why in the world would he be leaving everything that he had to go do this? He is the treasurer of the queen. He's the secretary of state. He is the chief financial officer for this kingdom. He's at the top and he had power. He had success, but he had made enormous sacrifices to do so. In the ancient cultures, they don't believe as individualistic as we believe today. We get our self-worth today by the individuals of who we are in those days. Everything was about the family. Apart from our families, but self-worth in ancient cultures came with the standing of your entire family. You only had honor if your family had standing honor. You could only have pride if your family had strong standing family pride. You had no way of leaving a legacy without your children. The only way to pass on your name is through your sons and through your daughters. Here's a man who had made the ultimate sacrifice to get power. He had been given up everything in his family, in a family-dominated culture, in order to get wealth and to get power. He's made it to the top, but it cost him greatly, and now he's incredibly lonely. So my question, why would a man take a thousand-mile journey to become to Jerusalem to leave everything that he owned in Ethiopia. Why would he leave his position? Why would he jeopardize his position? Because in that day, taking a thousand mile journey would put his position in jeopardy that day. Do you realize how dangerous a thousand mile journey in that day, in that age, in a chariot would have come? Why would he do that? There had to be this enormous emptiness inside of this man. There had to be something that his own religious culture could not feel, that his own faith in all of Ethiopia, some emptiness inside of him, something that all of his power and his success had not filled. Why else would he get interested in the God of the Bible? Say, maybe just say, there's something inside of Jerusalem that he didn't have in Ethiopia. So we took this thousand mile journey. And here's what you have to realize. This is the saddest part of this whole story is that when he arrived at the temple, they didn't let him in. They would not let him inside the temple. Pastor Martin covered last week a little bit of the Mosaic law. And in that Mosaic law, which is still a little bit confusing to scholars today and us today reading that and trying to understand that, here are some of the scholars, or here are some of the Mosaic laws and what they have to say about it. If you touch a dead body, you're not allowed into the temple. You had to be clean. You had to go and cleanse yourself to purify yourself before you could go into the temple. If you had mold in your house, do you have mold in your house today? We did not do any mold checking today at the door. 
We don't operate off of that. Well, why are those rules there? People get so caught up in the tediousness of these rules. They don't understand what the true meaning and what the true meaning of that Mosaic law was. And it's real simple that God is holy church. God is holy. We are sinful people and sinful people have to be cleansed before we can be in the presence of a holy God. All of those rules and regulations, they're just object lessons to get the point across. But some of those rules permanently excluded people. Some could never go into the temple like no eunuch is allowed into the temple. No castrated person could ever go into the temple of God. This man seeking with all of his heart goes through all of this trouble on a thousand mile journey to come to this and risk his life only to be excluded. He gets to the temple, he's left outside. Can you imagine the disappointment in his heart? Why in the face of this disappointment and exclusion, why on the way home is he still sitting in his chariot, headed back home after being excluded out of the temple? Why is he still reading over the Isaiah scroll? Based on what we read in Acts 8, we know where he's reading. It's somewhere in the 40s and the 50s, 41, 42, 43, 51, somewhere in there. He's reading and toiling over these scriptures. Those section of Isaiah is known as the servant songs. In Isaiah, he would have read this verse in Isaiah 56. Listen to these words. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and to choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Can you imagine the hope inside of this man? What is springing up a well inside of him as he reads Isaiah 56? Let no eunuch say I am only a dry tree. Then he reads the eunuchs who keep my covenant. I will give him a name better than sons and daughters. He would have been sitting there saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know of any other way to pass on your name except through sons and daughters. What is this everlasting name that will never be cut off? He's being told his own cultural terms that salvation goes beyond. It is more fulfilling of power and success and even family. He's reading and realizes that through these sections of scripture, that that strange figure is called a servant. It's always a suffering servant. And he gets to Isaiah 53 and he reads this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Who can speak of descendants? In other words, he's cut off from this. He has no descendants. Do you see 
what God is doing in the pursuit of this man. This eunuch reads, who can speak of his descendants? The eunuch is fixated on the passage because he's reading about somebody who can identify with him. The one who voluntarily became a lamb was slain and cut off and had no descendants. In fact, if you read in Isaiah 53, verse eight, by the oppression and judgment he was taken Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off and laid in the land of a living in the transgression by his people. He was punished and on that very moment mesmerized by what he is reading in Isaiah 53. He's riding in his chariot and he's listening to these words and he's wondering, who is this suffering servant? I have to know who is this suffering servant. And along comes Philip running up to him. The Spirit of God had anointed him to speak to this man, to challenge his man, to find understanding to this man. And he runs up to him and he says, Sir, sir, this suffering servant, he became a leper to the lepers. Sir, this suffering servant, he became a eunuch to the eunuchs. Sir, Jesus Christ was excluded too. Don't you see, my African friend, that all this Mosaic law was pointing to a spiritual truth that we are all like eunuchs. We are all really excluded from the presence of God. With all their heart and all their soul and all their mind, people really don't do what they need to do. They don't love God with all their soul and all their heart and all their mind and all their strength. Nobody truly loves their neighbor like they should. Sir, we have all sinned and we have all come short of the glory of God. Nobody can truly go in. We all deserve to be excluded and lost. But Jesus Christ came, church. Jesus Christ was excluded on the cross too. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He experienced the God forsakenness for us so that we could be included, so that we could be brought in. He was made unclean so that we could be made clean. That is the good news of the gospel of God. Listen to me, listen to me. If there is anyone online today and you're sitting in your homes and you have felt excluded from the house of the Lord, so you stayed home today. If you did come to the house of the Lord today and yet you feel excluded from God today, there is a Christ, there is a savior there for you today. He is pursuing you just like he pursued that Ethiopian. I'm standing on this stage today running alongside of you saying, let me show you the way today. Let me show you and illustrate to you that Christ is the answer for us today. Maybe you're sitting there and you're feeling like you're about to explode on the inside coming out there's shame there is guilt in your mind and in your heart you don't know how to deal with all that you 
have been through. Maybe you have a past that you're not proud of. Church, let me encourage you. As always, in every Sunday, these altars are open. This Ethiopian, he received the message from Philip. He received it, and as he was riding in that chariot, he saw a body of water, and he said, I have got to go get in that water and be cleansed. That, that water that they talk about is a watery grave. We believe that when you are taken down into that water and you're brought out, you are new. You're a new creation. You have been bought with a price, and you are professing to others that you believe. I believe that today. We make baptism available to you each and any time you're ready to be baptized. Church, can I challenge you today? Come to the altar today. Come to the altar and, and find a renew in your spirit. Find forgiveness. Let your heart be covered by Christ who paid all of our debts for us. If you'll stand with me now. Our hearts are always in tune with the Lord when we come to the house of the Lord. We're looking for direction. We're looking for something better in our lives. And we have come to the house of the Lord today to be renewed. To read scripture, as I said earlier, we must look through it through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus came to the world to save the world.